Well, the S&P 500 index, otherwise affectionately known to those of us who follow it as the SPX, and the reason I put SPX on there is not because I want you to know the symbol or whatever. Actually, I do. Um, the reason we say that is because there's actually different versions of the S&P 500 index, believe it or not, when you look at returns. So we one called the SPX, which is a simple, pure form. It is a pretty good U.S. stock market barometer. It has its distinct flaws and that about seven stocks are driving the train, whereas the rest of the market is not doing the same thing. And I'll explain that in just a minute. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to another exciting second hour of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure, McClure where we are known to say our names together. Mm-hmm. Suzaman. And if, if you haven't been properly impressed by that, you try saying your own name. Well, well maybe it's not as difficult as we like to think it is. But uh, we have lots to talk to you about this hour, as well as last hour. Uh, We have to talk about what's going on in Guyana. We've got Venezuela. We've got China. We got Russia. We got Ukraine. We have the United States. Yes, I have some things I would like to say about the United States economy. Yes. So I want to... Fill in some little gaps because people heard me say that thing about Venezuela, and I'm sure there's some quick questions about that. So I'm going to fill in some blanks there. Venezuela's not doing so well. What does that mean? Well, in 2014, Venezuela had a GDP of $372 billion. Well, I guess, yeah, so $372 billion. This is a pretty big number. Um, their GDP is $92 billion now. It's not as bad as it was in 2020 when it went down to $43 billion. What does that mean? Well, it means they're in rough shape. Uh, Guyana, neighboring country, has a bunch of oil that was discovered by ExxonMobil in 2015. And this year, they started auctioning off blocks to the development rights for that. And companies were bidding on it and so on. And some of them are receiving the contracts. Venezuela heard about that, and they're getting back into the oil world. They've just signed a deal with the United States and with a bunch of other folks to stop sanctioning their oil over being a dictatorship and being bad to their people and all that good stuff, or bad stuff, whichever the way you want to look at it. Uh, So they made the deal and then immediately turned around and said, now we're going to annex two-thirds of Guyana. Now, let me give you some comparisons here. The population of Venezuela is about 28 million people. It's hard really to tell because they've had a mass exodus. These numbers haven't been updated lately. They're not doing well. Their infrastructure's all messed up. They've got a lot of chaos. But uh, Maduro, which is the name of their president, says, hey, we can make up for that by just going back to pre-1899, the year, when uh, the borders were developed between Guyana and Venezuela, and we're going to put this to a referendum vote, popular vote, to say, should should we now... Uh, disregard the border that was set up in 1899 that we haven't really had any problem with since then. But now that they have oil, we're going to say that's not a good thing anymore. So the referendum happened. And unsurprisingly, they all voted according to the party line. Did I mention dictatorship already? I think I did. So uh, there was 
there were armed guards at the doors of all the voting establishments, and there wasn't a lot of privacy for the voters. So uh, they voted to annex a big chunk of Guyana. What's the population of Guyana? 800,000 people. The city of Austin is bigger in population than Guyana. The portion of the country that they're talking about annexing has about 125,000 people in it. Did I mention that's two-thirds of the nation? So if you think about that, it's a pretty sparsely populated area. Um, And Venezuela says, well, it's going to be ours now, and we will take it and start auctioning off the oil there instead of Guyana. They don't deserve it. That's the state of things right now, except that the United States just announced that they're going to start doing military drills in concert with Guyana and Guyana property. They have said to Maduro, if you invade, you're at war with the United States. So we may have a war in South America in the near future. Uh, Venezuela has dug a hole that they can't get out of using their own stuff, and they would like to auction that oil off to major companies instead of Guyana. They don't have the ability to produce the oil. They don't have the equipment, the know-how, the engineers, any of that. So all they're doing is wanting to fight their neighbor over who gets to sell it to the big international companies. And that's my wrap-up there uh, on the whole subject. You've got some stuff about the United States. So back to you. Well, that's one I think will win very easily, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. It will, the Venezuelan military is in pretty bad shape. Anyway, um, you did make an interesting thing about the economy right there. There are people who would like us to have a dictatorship in the United States. They're tired of democracy. They're tired of elections. Just as a side note, that's always true. There's always a group of people in any country that would prefer a dictatorship. There's an unusually large percentage, according to all the polls right now, that would prefer to have a right-wing democracy, right-wing dictatorship in the United States over the current democracy. That's what took Venezuela from being a thriving, healthy, one of the best economies in South America to being a economic basket case. So just bear that in mind. I don't like the idea of a communist takeover. I don't like the idea of a right-wing takeover. Uh, we have a good system of government. And I just assume leave it that way. Okay. What I want to talk about is some information that was released this last week, just like the week before, that didn't make the headlines. Uh, at least I didn't see any headlines. I mean, when when the GDP, annualized GDP for the third quarter last week was bumped up to 5.2%, 5.2%, folks, that is astonishingly high. Faster growth in the third quarter in the United States in any way you want to look at it than what's going on in China, for example. And, and I've heard people, I mentioned this to people, and I said, well, that it, that's because of all the inflation. No, GDP numbers are corrected for inflation. This is on top yeah, of inflation. Right. And we put, we, matter of fact, if you don't correct for inflation and you don't correct for the balance of trade deficit, which are artificially subtracted from the GDP, we had a GDP growth rate of 8.9% last quarter, 8.9% in nominal terms. Okay. Well, the Bureau of Economic Analysis at the Commerce Department, we love them and they put that kind of information out. But the other organization that we love in Washington is the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Both of those are reputedly full of bureaucrats, and I like those bureaucrats. Um, And there's some information that popped up in the third quarter that explains why we had such good GDP growth, and it explains, and it is really, really, really good long-term. Labor, right out of their report, labor productivity increased 5.2% in the third quarter of 2023. Now, that's annualized. In other words, the labor, the productivity of workers in the United States was rising at an annualized rate of 5.2% in the third quarter. 
That is, and it is no coincidence, by the way, that the GDP rose 5.2% in that quarter. That is just amazing. Uh, And that's a seasonally adjusted annualized rate. But that is just astonishing. And we've been talking about this and and we've we've been writing about it for some time. Through this rough economic time we had following the pandemic, companies were making capital purchases. They were building buildings. They were buying long-term equipment that is expected to be on their factory floor or wherever or in their office for years. It's not something they like that they, it's not a consumer or anything else. It's not something they buy and then get rid of. In, this is just amazing. That dramatic increase in U.S. productivity was a result of 6.1% annualized increase in production in the United States at, at that rate in the third quarter. But during to achieve that 6.1% annualized rate of increase, workers only put in 0.9% more hours. And labor costs decreased 1.2%. I can't, that is like Goldilocks. It's better than Goldilocks. It's, um, it's more like Princess Bride or something. It's just, it's an amazingly good bit of economic news. Our GDP can be boiled down to something. The number of worker hours times the production per hour. That's pretty close to driving our GDP. And you, you could argue with that. You could say, well, if we import a bunch of stuff, then the worker per hour. No, no. If we import a bunch of stuff in order to make a profit on what we import, we have to do something with it to sell it at a profit. And that's where we add GDP. Workers, uh, number of hours the workers are working and, and what they are producing per hour. And if they work just a little more and kick the production or profitability of the companies in the United States up 6.1%. That is astonishing. And it's because of the introductions of technology. It's because during the period following the pandemic, there was a, particularly in the service industries, there was a critical shortage of people. And businesses in a free enterprise system like we have made up for that by becoming more effective and more productive. And this is just wonderful. I just can't tell you how wonderful this is. The other thing is, and this is something that has been worrying me for some time, over the last four quarters, the average rise in corporate profits in the United States has been a negative 1.7%. In other words, corporations have been investing a lot of money, but their profitability has been dropping for the last 12 months. In the third quarter, it suddenly rose at an annualized rate of 11.1%. Corporate profits, profitability, earnings rose 11.1% in the third quarter. This is what drives the stock market. Anticipation of that 11.1%. That is that is astonishing. Um no matter how you look at it, it is it is an economy that is doing astonishingly well. Uh, manufacturing is in a hurt a little bit. Their productivity declined by 0.8%. Why did 0.08%? Why did they do that? That sounds bad. Manufacturing productivity is dropping. Now, we're mostly a service economy. Manufacturing is a relatively small piece of the economy, but still it sounds bad. Manufacturing output decreased 0.3%, but the hours work increased 0.5%. Why did that happen? It Because the manufacturing employers are keeping people on the job during a slowdown. That is in a powerfully positive indicator in more ways than I can think of because they, they're not laying people off and then hiring them back again. They went through that and they don't want to do it again. They want to keep the trained people on board. They want to keep them working to make a living. Uh, that is a very good thing. But the, manuf- but, the, but the people who own these companies are interested in making a profit. They're not in a charity. They anticipate more demand. This is what they're saying anecdotally when they're asking the reports. They anticipate more orders coming in next year. They anticipate growth next year 
So they're hanging on to their employees and continue to pay them even as the stuff they need to make drops. They're keeping the employees and keeping them on for enough hours to, so that they won't leave and they'll make a good living. This is, frankly, about as healthy as an economy can get. Uh, and then that all looked really good and it's really good long term and it's wonderful. But then the Bureau of Labor Statistics released another report. Unemployment dropped from 39 to 3.7%. Employment increased by almost 200,000 people in October. Now, can we, the interesting thing is 200,000 per month is something we can tolerate for a long time. You get much above that, and it was above that for a while, and you start to get a problem. Uh, but we are moving, we have an economy that's doing so well, it is kind of mind-boggling to me how well our economy is doing. Inflation is coming down. Um, the Vanguard is now saying that GDP growth in the fourth quarter is likely to come in at an annualized rate of 2.5%. They've generally been pretty correct. Uh, the Fed now survey out of the Atlanta Fed, which uses strictly statistics and goes strictly off long-term historic trends, is saying 1.2% growth in the fourth quarter, this or third or fourth quarter of this year. So this will be a really interesting thing for us, at least, to see. We won't know until well into 2024, but it'll be, you note that down because the, the, the Atlanta Fed says we're going to grow very, very slowly, which is, by the way, going to probably keep the Fed from raising interest rates again. Vanguard is saying 2.5%. That's a huge difference. It'll be really interesting to see whether Vanguard's flexible way of looking at things or the Federal Reserve's pretty much static long-term view of things pan out. Uh, the, the important thing is nobody is debating, are we about to enter into a recession or are we in a recession like they were earlier? They're finally coming to the point where they realize we're growing. We're growing very well and very healthily. And we are. It, it, it just doesn't get a lot better than this, folks. Sounds good. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? Ah, I've got a good one. Um, there's a lot of folks, and this kind of goes hand in glove with what you were just talking about. People have been predicting recession on in the United States for the last two years. It's coming any moment. And, and we've, say, we've been saying, we don't see it. We can see why they're saying that. The inverted yield curve. There's a lot of other issues that, that have in the past been really reliable predictors of recession. Um, the, the part that hasn't been a predictor of re recession is the amount of money in people's banks, the amount of money sitting in the bank at corporations and of people in the United States is extremely high still compared to our long-term averages, compared to short-term averages, compared to measurements, comparing any part of history. We have a lot of money in the bank. And when profits started down, consumers kept spending, and so profits went back up for companies. So the whole thing that should have caused a recession, it's more expensive to start new businesses because interest rates on those loans are so much higher. So you go to get a loan to start a business, it's so much more expensive. People are still buying. And uh, we just had a jobs report that came out this this week that said we added 199,000 new jobs. Uh, our unemployment rate dropped back down to 3.7%. What does that even mean? We've got layoffs. I mean, I spent a chunk of the time the last hour talking about Stellantis layoffs. But if you go to almost any tech or large growth type business, you probably have seen layoffs. 
So what does that mean? That should be a, a trigger for the economy somewhere, except that our net new jobs are still coming in way above. We're not losing jobs. We're gaining jobs here. Where are the jobs coming from? Well, this is, this is where I'm coming to. Um, the number of job openings has increased in companies that have one to nine employees by about 18, a little more than 18% over what it was last year, where the number of job openings are down by around 20% in all the other sized businesses going out. So small businesses are the ones that are hiring right now. Well, hiring more than the others because we're still net adding jobs across all those ranges. This, when we have big companies or little companies, net, we're still adding jobs even though we hear about the layoffs. Why am I bringing that up? Because it goes to what's driving our economy. Small businesses are doing very well. And I've talked about this over the past, I don't know, decade, talking about how we were flirting right on the line of the number of people employed in the United States being employed at a big company versus a small business. In 2019, we passed over and said more people are employed by large corporations than by mom and pop. And I said, that's dangerous. That's a sign of a coming recession. Now, we didn't predict the pandemic that led to the next recession at all. But we did say, hey, this is weird. You shouldn't be having more people employed at the big companies than at the tiny ones. That's never been a long-term trend in the United States. That's reversed. Mom and pop now have more people employed there than the big corporations. So when you hear about the big corpor corporations laying people off, and yet we see unemployment dropping, well, where are they going? Where are these people that just got laid off going? They're being hired by the small companies. So say you worked at IBM or Twitter before it became um, where you mark treasure on a map. Uh, it is, they left there, where did they go? Well, mom and pop hired them. They said, hey, we need somebody to help advertise on social media, or we need somebody to update our software, which hasn't been updated in 30 years. So can you come in here and fix that for us and make us more efficient at what we do? And so we're seeing that occur. Our product, you mentioned this at the beginning of last hour, productivity numbers are shooting up across the United States. They are going way, way up. And that's what we should expect to see at this point in, a, in an economy. What is this point? Well, it has all the hallmarks of actually coming out of a recession that we didn't have. It's weird. We're, we're seeing productivity increase at a high rate. Well, that's usually what you get when you've had massive layoffs and our unemployment rate is through the roof. Why, are, why is our productivity going up? Well, We've got a lot of weird stuff going on. When we say we're onshoring or nearshoring stuff, most people don't think that means mom and pop. In fact, most people think, well, that's going to be like Walmart and Tesla or Ford or, you know, they're doing that stuff. It's Apple. It's, it's the big companies. No, that's a, a part of it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a lot of manufacturing facilities being set up for the big companies here. Manufacturing on the small scale in the United States is increasing, where manufacturing's kind of slow on the aggregate. What, what does that mean? Well, this is, again, during the pandemic, we talked about this. New businesses started up at a rate that we haven't seen since the 
the end of World War II when everybody came home and they didn't have a job lined up, so they started their own business. New businesses started at that rate in 2020 and 2021. And we had a lot of bankruptcies in that area, but the, the growth rate is still way ahead of the bankruptcy rate, way, way ahead. Lots of new businesses, and those are the ones that are hiring. Those are people that lost their job in tech or somewhere else during the pandemic, started a new business, and they're still hiring because they've had a, a business idea that they've been sitting on for 20 years. They had the time to start doing it, and they're doing it. And I would venture to say that almost everybody listening to our program knows of some new business that started during that time period that's doing something cool and interesting. And they're still hiring and they're surprised at the profitability because this is the other part of that. Most businesses don't get profitable when they're opened up, when they're just started for five years. And one of the things that I tell people when they're starting businesses, you got to just assume you're going to lose money for five years. And if you make money in the first year, don't assume you're going to make money in the second year. You're going to have to have reserves on hand. Don't buy too much inventory, you need to ration it out because you may get a big influx of demand in your first year, but then you saturated the market for a while. Well, we've got a lot of new businesses that have already hit profitability. They're already profitable. This is unusual in the extreme. And that's a big chunk of what's driving our economy right now. It's the part of the economy that we're usually saying, hey, this is the part we need to protect. This is the part we need to fertilize and let it grow and, and cause it to do better. All of that crazy fraud that took place in the SBA loans and the paycheck protection loans and all and grants and so on. There was fraud. There was misuse of money. Don't get me wrong there. But it was also a very effective tool for the companies that weren't committing fraud, that were doing it for the right reason. And that propelled them, those low interest loans and those grants propelled them into profitability way ahead of the normal time period. And that's who's still growing in their job seeking. They're the people that are saying, hey, we still need more people to come work for us. And that's those are the people snapping up all those layoffs. All of that is incredibly healthy for our economy. And that gives me a lot of lot of optimism going forward because that's the kind of stuff when they hire people and they train people, they're less likely to lay off people in the future where large businesses lay off at a much faster rate. They quickly say, hey, are, this quarter we're not making a profit, lay off. Small businesses said, it took us three years to train this guy. We're not going to lay him off. Let's cut back on his hours. So long-term, that is a much more stable employment position for people as well. Ma and Pop don't lay off at the same speed as the big corporate behemoths. That's not going to be what you read on any front page of any newspaper, of any news stream or blog, because it's not as big. It doesn't, you know, when Walmart hires 100,000 people, that's going to make the news. When somebody that has 10 employees hires one, that's not going to be in any newspaper. But that's a 10% increase in their employment. That's what we're seeing. And that's why our unemployment rate is dropping at the same time that you're reading about layoffs in big corporate places everywhere. And the layoffs that are happening at Stellantis, if those folks are willing to move, new automobile brands that have never existed before 
ever are popping up like weeds right now because new technology exists to make automobiles in a new way, in a hybrid way or an electric way, that's allowing people to hire manufacturing. And they're still relatively small. This is something we haven't seen since the 1920s and 30s in automobiles, where you had new companies coming in to compete against the big old school companies. So that's that's my soapbox for just this moment. I've been going on this subject for a while, and I think it's I think it's pretty important, and it's completely below the radar on most of the big publications. You can see it in the data, and the data is beautiful. I just confirmed to all of you that are listening that I am a nerd. I like data. <laughs> oh, so what you got to take the next subject? Well, I think it's hard to go from here. This is subject. one of those days when I really wish we had people who would call in and give us counterpoints on the telephone. Yeah. Um, or send us an email to give us a counterpoint. Um, because what we see in the United States economy is so good that to me it is uh, watching the economy now professionally for 41 years. I've never seen it this good. Not only have I never seen it any better, I've never seen it this good. And yet consumer, if, you, if the consumer surveys consistently say people are pessimistic and unhappy about the status of the economy. Um, I, I read an article that suggested the reason may be that a couple of years ago they got checks from the government. They're not getting checks from the government now. There's a lot of reasons behind it. I think, I think social media probably has more to do with it than anything else because bad news sells clicks. But we have uh, another thing that came out just came out today uh, in, in several different publications. If you take the projected growth of the United States economy from before the pandemic, we obviously dropped during the pandemic. We have now passed that projected growth for this point. We're actually, had, it, 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 basically, if the pandemic had not happened, if everything remained static in 2019, uh, we would not be as well off today as we are. And yet when people are asked about that, they say they are not as well off as they have been in the past. Well, when they're is, asked about it, what they say isn't that, by the way. When they, they, they say we're more well off than we were, but we think other people are less well off than they were. Ah, Their opinions well, about the other people are the ones that are being, hey, what do we think the economy is doing? Well, it's not doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. That's what's coming out in the, in the, hmm. in the data. Well, I think it's probably because both the left and the right media make a big deal about how bad things are. Oh, yeah. You got to do it. If you're going to get elected, you got to tell what's wrong. I'm going to fix this thing. It's horrible and it's wrong. Well, well not just about not just getting elected. The, the bad news sells papers, we yeah. used to say. Now it sells clicks. I, I look around objectively and I don't listen to those sources that are free that come over phones and and new and in the television stations that don't there's television networks that don't charge you anything theoretically and have a political agenda when they at least an economic political agenda and i see things better than they've ever been i see things growing better than they've ever grown we're the unemployment rate in the united states today and the growth rate of the economy today any economist worth a publication over the past 30 years would have said that is impossible. The level, the, the degree to which the United States economy is growing and the low level of unemployment we have combined with a falling inflation rate. Current inflation rate for the last six months, folks, has been between one and two percent. Now, if you look at the 12-month number, it includes some time periods when inflation was higher, 
So it's a bigger number. It's 3.2, I think, at this point, 12 months. But if you look at the last six months, inflation has been growing at 1% to 2%, which is actually a little below the Federal Reserve's target. Your pay raises have been going up faster than inflation. So people are more wealthy today than they were six months ago on average in the United States. And yet they generally seem to be unhappy with their situation. And that is one of the things that I must be missing something somewhere. That's all I got to say. There you go. <laughs> and we're about out of time for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we've got to give some disclosures before we get started. We've said the name of the program is the Personal Wealth Coach, and not coincidentally, that is also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. The two people speaking on the air are the people that uh, give advice through that firm, but we can't give you advice on the air or in a podcast or in any other broadcast format because of privacy issues and lots of other stuff. So what are we doing if we're not advising? We're educating. And just because the firm's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC somehow thinks that we are anointed or um, somehow given a seal of approval or any of that stuff. They don't do that. They are a regulatory authority and we're required to tell you that in case we say something stupid. Nope, scratch that. We say that plenty of times. We'd be barraging the SEC uh, in case we say something fraudulent or misleading in a way that could cause people to lose money. Um, let's see. We don't pay for this radio program. More on that later. Uh, we do pay for advertising about the radio program. More on that later as well. Um, and you've got a disclosure. We're going through the disclosure at warp speed today. Well, the information we present to you in this educational radio program or internet program, as the case may be, has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. However, we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. We do, however, warranty and guarantee that all unsaid information on the radio program is incomplete. There we are. Unless your intention was to simply be silent. And that's not ever complete. So it is incomplete. <laughs> if you would like to contact us off the air, we have... Uh, email addresses, Jake and Jeff at tpwc.com. We have a webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com, tpwc.com, where you can listen to our radio shows going back a long ways. You can listen, you find links to our podcasts. You can find those on Spotify, Apple, anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, if you want to contact us, those email addresses are there. You can also contact us through the contact form on the webpage. Um, you can read our newsletter there. We send out that newsletter every Friday. Um, as a reminder, this is the last month of our radio program. We're moving totally digital. Um, and we thank you very much for 27 years of listenership. We appreciate you all. Thank you very much for listening to The Personal Wealth Coach. We appreciate you.